Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. The Big East Rewind came about when Sonny Sparrow and I from Syracuse University were on a recruiting trip and became friends, and we've been friends ever since. And we had a bond that has developed over playing in the very tough Big East Conference. The Big East Rewind is all about Big East basketball, old school style with the battles and stories that came about during our time playing in the Big East. From the perspective of the media, coaches, former players, and even officials. So we hope you enjoy the Big East Rewind. Welcome to this edition of the Big East Rewind. And on today's show, we have one of the two architects of the Big East Conference. Mike Trangisi is with us. And Mike's going to talk all about how the Big East Conference got its start from the very beginnings, right on through how they got their TV contracts done and how we wound up at Madison Square Garden. You're not going to want to miss this one. This is Mike Trangisi on the Big East Rewind. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this, edi this edition of the Big East Rewind. I'm your host, Chuck Everson, and as always, my co-host is the sensational Sonny Sparrow. How are you, Sonny? How you doing? Chuck, I'm doing great. Looking forward to today's episode. Yeah, and me too. Mike in a I while. Mean, you know, we, we did this thing and, and we call it the Big East Rewind and we're going back and, you know, kind of looking at everything. Now we're going back to the birth of the conference, how the conference got started. We're going all the way back to the beginning. And uh, the gentleman that's with us today was there for all of it and uh, was a big integral part in putting the conference together and, you know, had the success of the conference that it's had for all these years. So um, without any further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest. Um, he's the former Big East commissioner and one of the two architects of the Big East conference. Mike Trangisi is with us. How are you, Mike? I'm good, Chuck. Glad to be on. Oh, we're glad to have you. I appreciate uh, you, you giving us some time to hang with us a little bit today and, uh, and talk about and talk about the Big East Conference, which I know is so near and dear to your heart, and and of course your pal uh, Dave Gavitt, you know, um, which also is I'm sure is near and dear to your heart. So uh, again, appreciate you coming out and, and spending some time with us today. My pleasure. <coughs> so so talk to us first, Mike, about about where your background first before we get into Big East and stuff. Tell tell us about you and where you come from and how you got uh, to Providence and, and got to meet uh, Dave Gavitt? Well, I was born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, was always a big sports fan. Went to St. Michael's, um, where we had really terrific Division II basketball teams. Um, and I began working in public relations while I was there. Um, <coughs> excuse me, when I got out of college, I, I got a job. Um, at a small uh, Division II school, American International College in Springfield. And I worked in a sports information office. And uh, by chance one summer, I ran into to a gentleman by the name of Vin Cuddy, who was Dave Gavitt's right-hand man at Providence College. Vin had been at Providence for years. And uh, when I left Vin, after we spent a couple of days together, he said, we may have a job. And and uh, about four months later, Vin, Vin called me and said, you need to take a ride up here and meet Dave. Um, we're looking to hire someone and uh, got in my car, drove up, 
Here we are. And everything started, and Dave hired me on the spot. So what, was what it, did he offer you? Did, what was what was the position starting? Sports information director. But he said, he said that's your title, but that's not what you're doing. Um, <laughs> we only had five employees in the athletic department. He said you're going to do so many things. I promise you. After a while, your your knowledge base will just expand. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I just got thrown into so many things that I knew nothing about, but you had to learn. And it was, it was, it was incredible training and incredible time. There was no one in the world better to work for than Dave. I mean, he he gave you, he 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 would say, This is what I I need to have done. Go do it. And then he would support you. And then if you did something that was important, he, he always made certain that you got credit for it. Never, never tried to focus attention on himself. He, he, was, he was my best friend in the world. He's the, he, he was unbelievable to work for. What was your aspirations at that point when you did that? Were you thinking, okay, I'll be an athletic director at some point? What, what was your No, I, I never thought about being an athletic director. I just wanted to be, just wanted to be in sports. You know, you know when you're when you're in your twenties, you don't think beyond the next day. And I just wanted to be in sports. And when I went to Providence, I was in heaven. We had, we had great basketball team. My first year, we went to the final four um, and uh, had great, had great teams. And then we had great teams at Providence while I was there. So, I mean, for someone who had, you know, from my background, all of a sudden I was being thrusted into this incredible situation. So, for me, uh, what was going on was beyond any aspiration I may have had. Yeah. So how did it go from working with Dave like that to how did all of a sudden the talk come about forming a conference? I know that, you know, the Pac-10 was big out West and, and the Big Ten in the Midwest. And then, of course, you had the SEC and the ACC were all big, but the, the teams in the Northeast were all kind of independent, right? Yeah, they didn't I mean really have a... There was no, there, you know, there, there was Eastern basketball in name only. I mean, we, okay. all we had were a group of independents. Although in the late seventies, the, the, the precursor to the Atlantic 10 was the Eastern eight. Eastern eight, Eastern yeah, eight right. formed in either 76 or seven. And they had a good league. It was, it was Penn state and Pitt and Duquesne and UMass and Villanova. Um, and it was a good league, but wasn't getting anyone's attention. I mean, Dave had, Dave had talked about creating a super conference um, for at least five years, but you had to understand back then there was, everybody was a member of this group called the ECAC. They were tied down. And then all of a sudden the NCA in their infinite wisdom came up with this rule that everybody in, in a conference had to play each other twice. Well, we were all part of the ECAC, but we were all in subdivisions. So Providence was in New England. And all of a sudden, Providence was going to have to play Vermont twice a year, Maine twice a year, Rhode Island twice a year, Fairfield twice a year. And Dave, smart as a whip, just seized on this opportunity. And he said, I hate it. St. John's is going to hate it. Georgetown's going to hate it. And Dave immediately went to people that he knew very well. He was uh, obviously very close to Lou Carnesecca, had coached John Thompson in, uh, in college. Uh, D. Rowe, who's his closest friend in the world, was a basketball, had been the basketball coach at Connecticut and had just retired. 
and, and, and Jake Crowdhammer was his fraternity brother. Jake was the athletic director at Syracuse. So Dave had all these ties wow. and he brought everybody together. I don't think anybody else could have created it other than Dave. Dave, I mean, he just knew how to touch certain buttons. I mean, the person who was adamantly opposed to it was, was Louis Carnesecco. And uh, I remember Dave one day saying to me, I'm going to Europe. So what are you going to Europe for? He says, I'm going for the European basketball championships. And I said, Dave, what are you doing that for? And he gave me some nebulous reason. <laughs> well, what it was is Louis was there because Louis was sort of a consultant to the Italian team. That way, Dave and Louie got on a plane and came home together, sat side by side for seven hours. And as Louie often told me, he says, Dave talked me into it on the, on the plane ride home. And, and that was the origin of, of putting the whole thing together. Wow. So, so that, that's the whole genesis essentially came from the, uh, the NCAA wanting to have enforcing. And then all of a sudden that created a certain number of people who, like you said, were going to be unhappy. And he well, right. seized people, that moment. Everybody right? was comfortable where they were. And Dave always yeah. said to me, it's hard to get people off of something when they're comfortable. Right. And totally in charge. All of a sudden, everybody was being threatened by this rule. So Dave seized there upon it and, 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 and brought everybody together and then sold them on the idea. And, you know, he didn't sell them on the idea that we were going to have a nice basketball conference. I mean, he, he told them, he said, we're going to be more than that. We're going to be, we're going to be a power conference in a short period of time. We're going to get on television and we're going to recruit the kids to stay home because they were all leaving. Right. And lo and behold, that's what happened. And we're, we're going to win a national championship in four years. <laughs> I don't know that he said four years, but he said we would we would win national championships. Well, I mean, it happened right back to back, 84, 85. I mean, who, who does that in four or five years of a conference? I mean, it incredible. was, uh, you know, uh, I mean, for it was just remarkable. It happened. We had so much success so quickly that at times, you know, it was overwhelming. You took you took a step back and went, oh, my God. Uh, but one of the things Dave always preached, he was great at this. He would always remind me and everybody else used to say, don't gloat, enjoy it, mm-hmm. but be humble yeah. about it because you're not always going to have the best team or the best conference. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. And so I think we made a lot of friends along the way. We made a lot of friends in the East because all of a sudden the East was galvanized and right. it wasn't just our office, it was our coaches, it was fans, it was the media. Everybody now had an identity and we ran with it. Yeah. Who were some of the schools that were the almost? Who were some of the fringe schools that were in the conversation initially? Well, these schools that could have gotten in if they had chosen was Holy Cross. People forget how good Holy Cross was then. They were, yeah, they, were, yeah, yeah. they were Providence's biggest rival. We had in the, in the 70s, we had incredible games with Holy Cross. Plus, George Blaney was coaching Holy Cross. George yeah. was a great friend of Dave's. But uh, Father Brooks, the president at Holy Cross, just thought that, you know, Holy Cross was a great academic institution. And he thought bringing this, quote, sports league, or as he referred to it, basketball league together, would somehow tarnish their reputation. And so they elected, uh, they elected not to go forward with it. And, uh, and, and at that point, that's when Dave reached out to Bill Flynn and, and Boston College. Uh, everybody else, I mean, the start was Providence and St. John's and Georgetown and Syracuse, and those four were there. 
Uh, D. Rose, Dave's best friend in the world, was at Connecticut. I knew that Connecticut was going to be in the league. Uh, Jack Kaiser at St. John's was, felt very strongly about another New York school. And he was good friends with Richie Regan, who Dave knew, and obviously knew Billy Rafter was coaching there. And right. So we put the seven of them together. Uh, Dave did talk to Temple because Villanova was not available. But Temple was a member of the Eastern Eight, and they were playing football. And they wanted to stay aligned with Pitt and Penn State and West Virginia, which is understandable. So uh, Villanova had one more year in their membership agreement with the Eastern Eight. So Villanova joined joined the, the league in year two. So so he gets Louis first. I didn't know that. To, yeah, he he gets Louis first to come in. How does he go about getting these other coaches uh, to to see kind of his vision of what? Well, he, you know, he, he dealt with them all separately. Like Jake Crowdhammer was the athletic director at Syracuse. They were fraternity brothers and they've convinced Jake this would be a good thing. I mean, Jimmy Beheim was a brand new head coach. I mean, Jimmy, I think Jimmy was in his second year as a head coach at Syracuse when we were talking. So Dave's focus was to deal with Jake. And at Georgetown, I mean, Dave had coached John. And John trusted Dave. And Dave just said, John, this is the right thing. And all, all John wanted to hear is, are we going for it? I don't, I don't want to hear it. Too. Are we going to go for it and try to win national championships and be the best conference we can be? And Dave assured John we would do that. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it's wild because he, he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, Mike. I mean, we've had some other, other folks on. We had Billy Raftery on and we've had um, Coach Beheim and, and PJ. PJ and some of the guys. And everybody yeah. talks everybody talks about the same thing. He as far as his people skills go and yeah, putting guys together, there was nobody like him. I mean, because no. he he's doing all this stuff on his own and, and working all these different coaches and convincing them to go in the direction that he wants to take the, the conference. And he would do stuff like um, at, at coaches meetings and stuff, put guys that weren't getting along in the meeting, put them in the same golf cart and make them you know, uh, go out and play to that together. A or, lot of those stories, you know, yeah, probably the or, best story, the best story I can tell you is um, this was like in the late eighties and I was at a Connecticut game and the game was over and I was standing outside the Connecticut locker room talking to, to Jim Calhoun and Dave was coming down the hallway. Now I'd known Jim for a long time because um, I went to graduate school at American International College and one of my many jobs then I was a PA announcer. And Jimmy Calhoun played it at American International College his senior year when I was there. So Jim and I knew each other. And I was standing outside the locker room with Jim. And Dave's coming down the hallway. And he looked at me and he said, I know Dave's mad at me. And he's going to come down here and rip me. But I can't get mad at him, he said. And that, that was it. Dave had, Dave had this hold on people. They just, uh, people just uh, respected him and trusted him so much. Even even little things, Mike. Like we we've talked about the um, the luncheon that we have at the Big East tournament every year, and how you have two guys from each team sit at a table. I thought that you know, looking back on it now, as you know, as an older guy, you know, you know, what a brilliant idea that was. That was Dave's idea. We, you know, the first year we had the luncheon, and you know, we had teams who absolutely hated each other. Yeah. Oh and yeah. They hated each other. Um, and and Dave said, "This is what we're going to do." I said, "Dave, are you keep." Michael, this is what we're going to do. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. And so we did. We put, uh, you know, we put a Georgetown player with a Villanova player with a Connecticut player. Right. You know, that first year, there wasn't a lot of conversation at those tables. No. 
What? No, there wasn't. I can attest to <laughs> no. that. Yeah. They just said, hey, you know, this will be fine. And, uh, you know, years later, as I run into players, there's such incredible relationships. Like, uh, for example, an obvious one. I mean, Patrick and Chris. I mean, they're great friends. And Eddie Pickett, yeah. those three guys are great friends. I mean, yeah. they hated each other when they played. I mean, right. those, game, those games were wars. Yeah, it, it, you know, there's a bond, Mike, that happens because the only thing that was different really was the color of the jersey that you were wearing, you know, oh. but everything else, it was very similar experience for everybody that played in that conference. It was, And everybody and everybody took great pride in, in the Big East so that when, yeah. you know, it, you know, it was like that old, that old saying, um, we can fuss with each other, but when we get outside, no one you better mess with us. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, you know, I remember when we put the three teams in the final four, everybody was like over the top excited about it. Let me ask you this, like the, 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 the tournament, the Big East tournament start, I can't remember where it started. I know it was in Syracuse in year two, and I know it was first Harvard. year was Providence. Providence. So Providence. Second year was Syracuse. The Syracuse. third year was Connecticut. Connecticut, right? When, and when, then, when they formed the league, yeah. we met a Friday afternoon prior to Memorial Day weekend in 1979. And the meeting was adjourned and we had formed and we were going to go out and announce it. And Dave said, oh, by the way, I just want to let everyone know, you know <laughs> we're going to play the first three tournaments. We're going to go Providence. We're going to go Syracuse. He didn't ask. He just told them. And he said, uh, but we'll be going to the garden very shortly thereafter. Oh, so he, he that far. That oh, far God, yes. And everybody was... like looked at him and 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 and, you know, and I'm laughing cool because I, I knew Dave had that in the back of his mind. So now we now we play the first year and now we're in we're now in year two and I'm in the office one day and the phone rings and it was it was John. And he said, Michael, it's really important. I need to talk to Dave. I said, John, hold on. He's in a meeting, but I'll get him out of there. I went in and Dave's waving at me. I said, no, no, you got to come and take the call. And, I, and he took it and it was John. So he talks to John for about 10 minutes and he comes out and uh, he said, we're going to Madison Square Garden. I said, what happened? He said, John got Patrick. Oh, and yeah. uh, a week later, we went to New York, met with Michael Burke, who was the president of Madison Square Garden at the Not time, sure. Sonny Werblin and Frank McGuire. And that's and we began talking about taking this tournament to uh, to New York. I want I'm going to touch on that some more, but before we do, I want to ask you. So, you you mentioned um, being the SID, you were going to have other jobs that really weren't part of the SID role, and I and I know that you were the guy that they said, okay, go out to Bristol and talk to this sports company about getting a contract with us to get get us on TV. How did, how did that work out when you went out to well, ESPN? You have to remember in 1980, Dave was the 1980 Olympic basketball coach. Uh, that was the Olympics that was canceled. Right. Probably the greatest disappointment in Dave's life. He was absolutely heartbroken by it. Um, but in 79, that summer, the team had already been selected. They were going to tour. So we met on Friday. And then Dave and I went out to dinner that night. And he said, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow. So I'm going to be gone now for two and a half months. And he said, I got a list of things here I need for you to do. I said, well, I'm still working at Providence. What do you want me to do? Oh, don't worry about that. You'll take care of that. These are the things I want you to do. And at the top of the list was you got to get us on television. So um, I asked him if I could hire someone to help me. There was a PR firm in Providence and the head of the PR firm was a great friend of Dave's and mine. His name is Dave Duffy. And Dave Duffy just, and I just went out and talked to everybody. And one day we got in, got in the car 
and drove to Bristol. All they had was a trailer. It was, that, that blows me away compared to what they have now, right? True. I mean, that's and we crazy. went in and we talked about them and uh, they were interested because we were saying to them, we're going to produce our own games and we'd be prepared to give you a free satellite feed if you would carry it. And after a short while, they agreed to carry it on delay the first year. Meanwhile, we were out there clearing over the air markets and we, you know, I'm proud of this. The one thing I convinced Dave of when he came back, I said, Dave, we're going to play on Monday nights. And David first said to me, let's talk about coaches. I said, the coaches will be fine, Dave. This is going to be incredible exposure. Dave said, tell me why you want to play on Monday night. You have to remember in the 70s, Monday night football was the thing. Right. It was larger than life. It was Don Meredith, Frank Gifford, Howard Cassell. It was larger than life. I said, Dave, we need to piggyback on the Monday night concept. People are used to watching sports on Monday night. And so that's how we created uh, uh, Big East Monday, Big Monday. Back the first wow. year. And that Big first Monday. year, we were successful with the help of a syndicator. We were able to go out into all these big markets and, and clear these games. And all of a sudden, here's this fledgling league that was on in prime time on Monday nights. We were on in New York. We were on in Philly. We were on in Boston, not in Washington. Sure. And, you know, people, people would call Dave from around the country and say, we even had the games out in, in like we, we were on a television station in Chicago and Indianapolis and coaches would call Dave and say, what the heck's going on? How can you, how can you be on here on Monday nights? So it was, uh, you know, I think we caught people's attention and, you know, right from the start, we had so many great games, great, great games. Sure. Well, it was a perfect marriage, Mike. I mean, you know, the Big East needed the exposure and, and ESPN needed content for what they were putting on TV, right? It was a so, perfect. It was a perfect storm and a perfect marriage for both of us. Who who do you think got the better of that deal? Did the Big East make ESPN or did ESPN make the Big East? No, ES, ESPN. ESPN is a conglomerate beyond belief. I mean, oh, it's now just, sure. I think about it. Uh, I think we helped them, but I, you know, they, I think they, we did too. You know, uh, but they really helped us. Um, you know, and then uh, uh, and then following following our our our. 85 year when we had three teams in the final four, we were able to go to the bargaining table and really begin to negotiate a deal that was second to none in exposure. Plus we got what for us was significant money, which really gave life to the league. And now people were earning meaningful money as well. Yeah. You're leading me right, right to the next question, Mike, you're doing, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> when you mentioned 85. Okay. How, how big, how, what, how big, and you mentioned Patrick, but that class that came in with Eddie and Chris and Patrick and, you know, all those guys that came in in that class that, I mean, how, talk about how big that was for the conference to put it, it, those it, stars on the floor. It was, it, you know, and, and it wasn't something that took time. It was instant. I remember the first time St. John's played Georgetown. Right. They played the first time when Chris and Patrick were freshmen in the garden building was sold out. It was New York city was just lit up and, you know, the key city in the big East was always New York. And if, if you, if you can light up New York, everybody else is going to just, is going to be there. And I mean, right from the start, because of Chris and Patrick, 
And then, you know, we had so many other great players like Eddie and, 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 you know, Michael Adams at Boston college, right. you know, Otis Thorpe was, was, was at Providence. Corny Thompson was at Connecticut. Danny Calandrillo was at seat. Now we had, we were loaded with, with such terrific players. And then lo and behold, the Pearl goes to Syracuse and that just takes it to an even higher level because Pearl was from there. And he was like, it, it, Pearl was, Pearl was the most magical player that ever played in the Big East. He was something to behold. Um, he, 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 he lit up the garden like no one I ever saw before. Um, and all of a sudden we had this tournament where you couldn't get tickets. I mean, I used to handle the tickets as well those first few years. And I can't even begin to tell you, I mean, the kind of calls I used to get. Uh, oh, I believe it. a lot of times the calls would go to Josephine at the garden and Josephine would call me and say, Michael, we got a problem. And I'd say, Joe, we don't have a problem. Who do we have to take care of? I mean, we took care of, we took care of more people in the 24th hour, you know, hit them in a cubby hole, put them up in a scouting box. We did what we had to do. Yeah, to get them in the building. And, and Pearl, the timing of Pearl coming into the league um, was right along the time when they started to go to the bigger arenas and stuff. And the Carrier Dome was brand new. Right. Right. Carrier Dome was like, what, a year old or two years old? Yeah, I mean, and that wasn't just by happen chance. That was Dave telling him they were going to bigger buildings. Right. That was all part of his mantra right from the start. And, you know, he forced people to go to bigger buildings. If you didn't go, he was going to make you go. And uh, a couple of people he had to push pretty hard. But, you know, um, that was the plan. And obviously it, he said, we're not going to go televise. We're not going to televise our games in little band boxes across the country. It's the wrong image. We got to, we got to go big and we got to sell the tickets. And people said, well, we don't know if we're going to sell the tickets. They, and Dave said, if we have these players, we will sell tickets. I mean, you know, Patrick was in the league for four years. I, I mean, I, I would assume, I think Patrick never played before anything other than a sellout wherever Patrick went. And the same, probably with, right. the same with Chris and then when Pearl came into the league, the same thing. What's yeah. funny is the NBA followed suit, right? You have the players, you're going to sell tickets. The NBA, all of a sudden, now they're starting not, not really promoting Nick Celtics. They're promoting, right, you know, Ewing versus Magic. You know, they're promoting the players. I mean, yeah, that was David Stern's whole approach Yeah, you know, back in the 80s was to promote superstars rather than teams. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, Dave seized upon it. And he yeah. said the difference between college basketball and pro basketball is the pro game is about the name on the back of the jersey. Right. The college game is about the name on the front of the jersey. That was one of Dave's great lines. Yes, genius. Genius. Let me ask you this. Now, Dave is, is the uh, – and, and along the way, I'm sure that the – the job, you know, the job description for you just got longer and longer and longer. I had no job description. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Dave gave me a title. And I remember he said to me, just forget about it. I mean, I was the, I was the only employee the first two years. And I had a, I had a secretary. And I did, I've never worked harder in my life. But, you know, I didn't look at it as hard work. I was doing, I was doing stuff that I love to do. I mean, I was doing the normal day-to-day -day stuff. I was the accountant. I was... I did all the television stuff. We did the advertising stuff. Uh, I learned how to assemble people so we could put games on TV. Um, hired a guy by the name of Billy McCoy, who was our first director. He was fabulous. Billy taught me so much, taught me about satellites, how you, know, how you order them, mm -hmm. the kind of problems, how you worked against it. And then, uh, you know, uh, 
we hired Lenny Berman, who was working for WCBS in New York. Lenny, I knew from Boston. Lenny was a pro's pro and was, was great. immense help. And then uh, very shortly thereafter, Billy, uh, Billy Rafter retired. And, you know, Billy decided to not coach in October. And Dave called me in and he said, you know, we're going to announce, Billy's going to announce he's stepping down. He said, by the way, I hired him. He's going to be our analyst. I said, Dave, I already hired someone. He said, I know, but you got to get us out of that. <laughs> I said, <laughs> He said, you got to get us out of it. He said, Billy's one of ours. He's going to do the games. I said, fine. Well, I'll figure something out. Wow. <laughs> so while, while you were off, Mike, doing all the, all the Big East stuff, like you were saying, who was taking care of, like, the women's soccer team at Providence? Who was doing all the stuff that? Well, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at Providence, but I ran all the championships as well. Oh, okay. You okay. know, I mean, that was my job to organize all the championships. Obviously, yeah. I had help from each of the schools. So if we were running a. A soccer championship at Connecticut. No, but I, I mean, you started with you started with Dave in Providence, right? Weren't you yeah. working with him there? Yeah. And then yes, we had a, we had a who was handling who was handling your duties there as you were running around doing all the Big East stuff. When I when I left Providence, Dave hired a fellow by the name of Rich Lewis who had a similar job as I had at Holy Cross. He brought Rich on board, and then Dave had a wonderful woman working for him whose name was Helen Burt, who ran all the women's sports and just did a marvelous job. So you mentioned, you know, he had the foresight years before when the league started that eventually he wanted to get to the bright lights and, and big city of New York City and Broadway and Madison Square Garden. Let's talk about some of the Big East moments and some of the some of the tournament uh, action at the Garden. I mean, there was no better place to be in. Everybody says that. Everybody we've had on that we talk about. They light up the garden, the electricity in that building, especially um, on the night that the final four played uh, was unbelievable. I've never experienced anything like it. And you try to describe it to somebody and it's hard unless they've been there to see it themselves. Yeah, I, You know, through the years, I would bring people there and I tell them and I'd say, yeah, you'll enjoy it. And they, people would always be blown away. I mean, one of the little things we always did, uh, you know, Josephine literally was our person inside the garden. I mean, she ran college basketball in the garden, but she was our person. She did all the nitty gritty. If I needed something done, Joe would take care of it. She was unbelievable. And she came to me the first year. She said, by the way, um, I'll take care of the national anthem. I said, I'll have the band. No, 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 we're not gonna have the band, Michael. That's, forget the bands. She said, I will bring in young kids from across the city of New York. And Joe had all the, Josephine had all these contacts. And through the years, if you were at the garden, we had incredible talent. I mean, we had all these young 12, 14, 15, 16 year old kids come out and sing the national anthem at both our semifinals and finals. It was just part of a, the uniqueness of the, uh, of the event. Now, now, as things are going and, and you're growing the conference and, and, and its popularity, um, at what point did you guys, did you discuss expansion? How did expansion happen? Well, expansion, the bane of my existence. Oh, um, sorry. It's okay. Let's Chuck uh, ask that question. You know, we had a famous meeting in Boston in 1982. Yeah. And uh, at the time, Penn State, which was the most powerful football program in the East and one of the three or four best football programs in the country was talking very seriously about forming an all sports conference. And now Syracuse and they, was scared to death. They were talking to Syracuse. 
They were talking to Boston College, talking to Pitt, talking to West Virginia. Um, and Dave sat there and said, I have to do something. So he brought all, all our athletic directors together and we talked very seriously about extending an invitation to Penn State. And in order for Penn State to get in the league, it had to be by a vote of six to two. And the vote was five, three. And I remember when the meeting was over, Dave said to me, what do you think? And I said, we will rue the day that we didn't take Penn State because our football was so gigantic. Yeah. Coach Paterno was coaching, so he didn't have time to do everything. But eventually what happened as time went on, they joined the Big Ten. Now the SEC went out and got South Carolina. And all of a sudden, I mean, football is larger than life. It controls television money. And then all of a sudden we became pretty vulnerable because Syracuse, Boston College, and now Pitt. We went and took Pitt when Penn State didn't come to try to help Boston College and Syracuse with another football playing partner. And Pitt was, had a very good basketball program, so they just added to it. But, uh, you know, Penn State went to the Big Ten, and then, you know, um, we, 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 we then had to begin to deal with had that to was, deal with football. Had very little choice. That was a big celebration in Syracuse when Pitt came in the conference, I'll tell you that, because we knew we were safe. We didn't want to leave the Big East. Nobody in the basketball ever wanted to leave the Big East. I know that. I mean, and Syracuse I was, was truly one of our best members. I mean, I love the Syracuse people. Um, Chancellor Shaw was there. He was he was yeah. incredible. And, of course, yeah. you know, Jake Crowdhammer was – was unbelievable to me when I took over and, and Jimmy, Jimmy and I've been, uh-huh. Jimmy and I've been friends now for 40 years. You, you know, you know, what's interesting about Jake Crowell Jake Crowell was such a football staunch football yeah. supporter yeah. that we always felt he was going to follow football, all the basketball did. And we always, and, and you know, and, and that was his real passion. And it's really interesting that connection he had with Dave Gavitt and how that really ultimately helped Syracuse stick. Well, one of the things why the, the so-called Paterno League didn't get put together is then they get down to the nitty-gritty of talking uh, revenue sharing. And Penn State was not willing to give up much of its football money. And they were getting a lot of football money at the time. Oh, yeah. And that was a deal breaker for Jake. And, you know, everybody killed Jake and blamed Syracuse for stopping the idea of that league not forming. And Jake didn't really care what people said. But in truth, the reason was is that uh, Penn State was unwilling to to share much of its money. And I, I don't blame Penn State. They were getting a, a lot of money versus what other people were getting. But if you want to form a league, you got to be willing to, you got to give up something. That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chuck. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So the, fir- the first round, did, right, was Pitt was added and was someone else added in that first round? No, I mean, we, you know, we took Villanova in year two. Right. We became the eighth team and then Pitt became the ninth team. And we were, we were nine teams until we took Miami in, in uh, 1990. Okay. We took them in 90 and they started playing in 91. So why did we take Miami? Because Dave was, this all happened like in a two week period, the big 10 announced it was leaving for the big 10 and Dave announced he was leaving for the Boston Celtics. Right. And the whole world was going boom. And, you know, uh, I was hired and two weeks later, I just called a 
a meeting and I just said to people, we have to deal with football. So if we don't deal with football, and I pointed to Syracuse Pitt and Boston College, I said, they're not going to have any choice. They're going to leave. And Syracuse spoke to that and said, we're not going to have much choice. So we need to do something. And we agreed that we would, uh, we would take Miami and uh, eventually get into the football business. And that's how that all started. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, now, I've had you... people say to me, do you, do you regret doing it? I said, no. So I, I would, if I didn't do it, Syracuse, Boston College, and Pitt would have been gone. And just think about from 1990 until the league broke up and then, you know, re restructured itself. Think of all the great moments we had from 90 to 2014. None oh, yeah. of those would have existed. We got a national championship at Syracuse, right? Yeah, you got them at 2003. UConn. Yeah, and UConn's got several. Yeah, Connecticut, Connecticut got two of them, and, and, and Syracuse got one, and then we got a whole bunch of them in women's basketball with Connecticut as well. Right. So as as this as this uh, uh, you know happens, what was the transition like for you? Was it was it as, <laughs> as was it as quick as quick as you described, or I mean, it was hard? I, I mean, the first two or three years after Dave left was very difficult. First of all, I had to deal with the fact that Dave left. Right. I mean, that's what, that's you know, what I'm Dave, getting at. Yeah. Dave was larger than life. Uh, you know, the only thing I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even attempt to emulate what Dave did. I had right. to be myself and do the best I could for our people. And I'm sure there were people there who said, look at this idiot and so forth and so on. But, you know, I knew, I still, I grew up with all these people. I knew them all. And uh, internally I had, I had support from, some of the ADs, great ADs, Frank Rianzo at Georgetown, Jack Kaiser at St. John's, Jake Crowdham at Syracuse, uh, John Toner was at Connecticut, and Bill Flynn was at Boston College. They, they, they just supported the heck out of me. I mean, I think they understood that, um, that what, what I was undertaking was not easy. And it, it was the, first, the first two or three years was, was a very difficult road for me personally. Do you think when Dave left, uh, Mike, that it was him seeing the writing on the wall eventually happening, or was it something of the allure of being with the Boston Celtics? I think combination of England guy. Combination of Yeah, Dave had yeah. no interest in involving himself in football. Um, but I think the lure of the Celtics, I mean, if you're from New England, especially, the, I mean, the Celtics means means a lot. Plus, Red had called Dave personally. Red Auerbeck had called oh, Dave wow. personally. And, and, and other people who were part of the Celtics family, who were friends of Dave's, really talked to Dave. Bob Cousy and John Havlicek were good friends of Dave's, and they both worked on Dave. So it was, it was just time. Dave's one of those, Dave was one of those persons get bored very easily. You know, and, and, you know, we had reached the pinnacle, and, 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 you know, I'm certain Dave sat there and said, oh, my God, I don't need this headache. So he left that headache for, for me, which was fine. Yeah, those are some phone calls. I think I'd answer the phone if John Havlicek called. Yeah. Or, or Red, yeah. I'm, yeah, Red. <laughs> that, that's I'd send him a box bad. of cigars. <laughs> not, not too shabby, not too shabby. So let's get into, Mike, what are some of your, what are your, some of your best moments in, in, your, in your tenure with the Big East? What were some of your favorite moments on the floor, like the, the games? Well, and... you know, obviously, I think at the top of the list is the 85 Final Four. When we had three teams there, it was it was the most special and electrifying experience you can imagine. I mean, we were at the top of the basketball world. I think after that, put aside from relationships, 
right. I remember games like I think the Big East final in in '84 uh, was the, the famous Syracuse Georgetown overtime game, um, which was a was a brawl, and uh, you know Syracuse deserved to win the game, and, and Georgetown came back from from nowhere to win, and then I remember Syracuse St. John's in the finals with Pearl. Yeah. Pearl put on a show. Pearl had put a show on in the game they lost to Georgetown. Now he's playing St. John's in '86 in the finals, and St. John's wins at the at the buzzer on a, it, with about six seconds to go on a Ronnie Rowan jump shot. And I'll never forget it. The vote came in for MVP, and I walked over to see Louis, and I said, "Lou, I need to tell you this because I need your help." I said, "The MVP is Pearl Washington." And he said to me, no problem. And we announced Pearl Washington. And I'll never forget, Pearl came out, he was crying. He, he, was, he, he was devastated by the loss. And Walter Berry and all the kids from St. John's came out and hugged Pearl. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you, you, can't, you, know, you can't write a script. You, know, you go no, later, you can't. remember 96, the Connecticut-Georgetown final featuring Ray Allen and Allen Iverson. It was, it was, it was one of the ugliest games ever played. Nobody could get shots because the defense was so, so tenacious and the rules were different then. So, but there were so many great games and so many uh, great players. Obviously I remember all the national championships, you know, especially when Jim, you know, when Jim won his beating Kansas and then, and the Connecticut national championships. And then uh, even though I had stepped down when Jay won, I, I was, I was ecstatic because I've been friends with Jay for since he was a a young kid at at Villanova let me ask you this as as the game got because you mentioned it the physicality as the game got physical I mean the Big East sort of got labeled as this was that it was that ever a concern was that ever discussion at the top level is like listen are we are we going to do anything is there is there was there any discussion about that part of the of the game no Dave was not going to change it you know what just play well, we went to six fouls for a little bit, didn't we, Mike? Yeah, and we got vilified for it. And yeah. by the way, by the way, there's talk now about going to six fouls. I, oh, I'm, a, really? I'm an advocate of six fouls. I mean, there's nothing worse than going to a college game and a kid gets two fouls in the first five minutes and he sits out the next 15 minutes. Yeah. Dave's idea with the six fouls was not to make it easier for physicality. It was to allow players to play. Players to play. Right. Yeah. Nobody People wants to see, to see. So, in fact, Danny Gavitt, uh, when the talk the talk has started to intensify, and I, I texted Danny and I said, uh, Danny, you know, your dad had this right uh, 30 years ago, except the fools couldn't understand it. <laughs> That's true. And let me ask you, so do you think the physicality of Big East play and the fact that Georgetown was the team that everybody loved to hate, you know, you had to have a bad guy, I guess. Uh, and they and they kind of wore the black hat um, in that in that regard because of it just seemed that every time uh, a big game would occur, Georgetown was in the middle of some type of physical uh, contact or, you know, you know, you look at you mentioned the 84 championship game. You know, we had we had Mike Graham on with Andre Hawkins talking about that. And then we had Froggy Paparo on, who was the official. Yeah. So we got we got all three perspectives of that whole thing and and froggy said that um 
he he threw him out and then he came back and uh, he talked to the other official, which I believe was Jody Silvestri. Jody Sylvester and, and Larry Lambo. Larry Larry, yeah. They were and, the officials on the and game. Jody said, well, he didn't make contact. And Froggy told him, well, if I took a gun out and shot you and missed, isn't it still attempted murder? <laughs> you know? So that was that was what it happened was, there. It was, it, it was it was a wild night. I mean, Jim was sensed about Michael, you know, Michael not being thrown out. I mean, our league was physical. I mean, but we had big, talented players. Yeah. I mean, it was just you know, the way the game know, we was played. It wasn't like yeah. we we were teaching players to go knock each other down. We just had big bodies. Yeah. And the NBA, by the way, was a very physical league at the time. You know, you're mm-hmm. talking about Pat Riley and the Knicks and Charles Oakley and those oh, teams. Yeah. I mean, the point is the way the NBA plays always surfaces down. And I mean, all, all the kids in our league were from the Northeast. They all wanted to play in the NBA. Right. That's the way people played. And we officiated that way. I remember Timmy Higgins telling me one night, he said, he said, Michael, I, you know, I go to the ACC I go to the Big Ten, and he said, everybody's garden like this. And he says, you come to the Big East, and everybody's garden like this. He said, if you could officiate in the Big East, you could officiate anywhere. And we had some great officials then. I mean, and, really. And you know what? Everybody was like a rock star, Mike. I mean, the, you had oh, coaches know. that everybody knew their names. Right. And, and, I, and we had officials on. We had Timmy on, too. And, yeah. you know, we said to him, he said, hey, look, every it's one thing if, if, if somebody's yelling from the, from the blues and saying, hey, ref, you stink or whatever. But when they're yelling your name, it becomes personal. Everybody knows the guy's name. Officials goes into Smith and Walensky's after after the game, and and everybody's, hey Timmy, you blew that one. Hey, what happened to this one? Yeah, I'll never forgive you for that. You cost me this. Yeah, (laughs) the officials, the officials were rock stars back then. I mean, they were larger than life because they were on TV every night, and they were in New York. Every they were in New York or in Philly or Boston, and we had the same core of officials, so fans got to know them. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. we, we had the same six or eight, whatever it was, how many. And, but it, and what they have said, yeah. too, is they said that Dave Gavitt not only did a good job organizing, took very good care of them. So there was um, there he was did. a very nice human side he did. that they all recognized. Dave Do you knew want to talk tough, to that at all? Dave knew it was a to... tough job, and he always, uh, always, uh, that was a priority for, uh, for us. And we had a great, we had a great coordinator of officiating in Art Highland who started with us at the beginning of the league and was with the Big East all the way through my tenure and then stayed on a few more years after that. Art was great. And the coaches really, I mean, Art was the one who had to deal with our coaches, which was not fun, uh, but they respected him. And, but they couldn't bully Art. And that was really, really important. With everything that went on, um, uh, Mike, did you ever feel that you didn't get, you know, the, the notoriety or the, or anything or the accolades that you should have gotten for being, right there from the ground level that you, you know, doing all the stuff that you did to make the conference what it was and what it still is today? Not really. I mean, we all have egos. I mean, anybody who says you don't have egos is lying. Um, But I love working for Dave. And I had notoriety, notoriety within the Big East family. Our coaches knew what I did. Our athletic directors knew what I did. And more importantly, Dave knew what I did. Right. And I was happy with that. I didn't need to, I didn't need to have my name in a paper. Um, and that was one of the things I was always uncomfortable with, even when I had the job. I mean, you know, it, it, there are people who gravitate towards that. It just wasn't that important to me. Um, you know, I know, I, I knew what I did. I knew what I did. Dave knew what I did. 
everybody else who was important knew what I did. And, and, and that was enough for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I like, I, I get what you're saying and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, you, 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 like you said, you know what you did and, uh, and so does everybody else. And, and believe me, the guys that played and the guys that are, have come through uh, the big East conference, they all know what you did too. And I think that's the most important thing. That's gratifying. What, believe me. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, it, listen, it, it became, it became one of the, the best conferences in the country, maybe the best conference in the country, as far as we're concerned. But well, We had two stints where we were by far and away the best basketball conference in the country, obviously in the eighties with Patrick and Chris and Eddie and, the, yeah. and, and Pearl and Walter Berry and on and on. Then we hit a low when I took over and part of it was, you know, David left, but we, we lost coaches, you know, yeah. Rowley left, Louie retired, uh, PJ left, Rick Pitino had left. I mean, we, we, we lost an all-star cast of coaches and all of a sudden our recruiting wasn't quite as good. Um, and then, you know, thankfully Connecticut and Syracuse really sustained us during uh, a down period. And I think it allowed us to get our footing back. But I think one of the one of the most important things I ever did um, was in '96, I convinced our presidents to take the tournament back and play it in prime time. People forget um, in '90 we signed a contract with CBS. We began playing our finals yes. on a Sunday afternoon. Sunday at one. Yep. And I finally went to our presidents and I said, "We we we have to change this." And I have to tell you that it was, it was a big fight. They were not happy because, you know, I was, they threw in my face. It was an extra day of missed classes. And I was saying, give me a break. Yeah. How did I get it through? Because before I took it to the president, I went to our coaches. I went to John. I went to, to, I went, I went to Jimmy Calhoun. I went to Jimmy and made certain that they were going to support it. And, and they pressured, they wanted to play in prime time. And, 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 and by going to prime time, we were able then to go and make a mega deal with ESPN where they began televising our entire tournament from start to finish. No other conference had that, start to finish, no delays. And our championship game was the feature game on Saturday night. So the first year we go Saturday night, 96, Allen Iverson versus Ray Allen in one of the great championship games. And that sort of thrusted us back in the limelight. And then obviously we began, we made some great coaching hires. You know, Jay went to Villanova and, 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 and some others. And we began to, and we really began to pick up again. In fact, I mean, I think it was my last, my last year or the year after I left, we had 11 teams in the tournament. Yeah. And had, and, and both Connecticut and Villanova were in the final four that year. Yeah. That was, yeah. I mean, listen, the accolades that the conference, the things that the conference has accomplished uh, are, are second to none. And, and you talked about it briefly. Um, let's go into that a little bit. In 85, the three teams in the final four, you know, that's never happened before or since. That's the only time it's ever happened in the history of the. And we the almost NCAA had a fourth tournament. team there, which very few people remember. Right. Um, Memphis won the Southeast regional. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat Oklahoma in the final. Oklahoma beat Boston College at the buzzer in right. overtime. And that Saturday, Georgetown played Georgia Tech in the Eastern Regional Finals in the Providence Civic Center. 
And that morning I got a call from Gary Williams and Gary said, Mike, I want to come up to the game. I said, fine, Gary, just go to the back door. Gary knew what to do. And I remember talking to Gary at halftime and Gary, and, and Gary said to me, Michael, if we'd won that game, we would have beaten Memphis. He said, because Memphis wanted to run up and down the floor. They were used to playing man-to-man in their league. Gary was a predominantly zone team. Gary felt very strongly that he would have gotten there. And we came that close to getting four. Uh, there's been a couple of times when there was a chance for the Big Ten and the ACC to get three in the final four, but it's never materialized. It's a hard thing to do. It's not impossible, but it's hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, the, the thing was, too, and we had um, – guys from each of those three teams on together and we talked about that final four and and uh, st john's was was thankful that we won but then they were praying that they beat georgetown because they figured that was it they would definitely beat us they kind of had our number that year we did and we we kind of had georgetown's number i mean once a year um we we for my four years at least when i was there we beat georgetown one time we played georgetown in 85 twice really close games both games You know, it's funny. The year Syracuse won a national championship, they couldn't beat Connecticut. Connecticut, Connecticut didn't beat them. Connecticut browbeated them to death, both regular season meetings. And, and it was funny. You know, Jimmy, I remember because I, I traveled with Syracuse that year. He did not want any part of Connecticut. It's just one of those things. Certain teams fit with certain teams. And, you know, Connecticut that year lost in the uh, – uh, they lost to Mississippi State in the regional semifinals. And then Syracuse ends up playing Mississippi State in the final four that year. And in, in, no, in 96. And he and 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 Syracuse beats them. I mean, it just it, it, t- certain teams can play certain teams. It's one of the great mysteries of college basketball. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. When the reconfigured Big East really doubled down and said, listen, we're going basketball, we're, we're going back to our true roots. Is there any advice that you would give them now? Like we had John Fanta on the other day, wonderful guy. And is there any, any thoughts, like any advice you would say to them, say, okay, listen, this, this might come knocking, that might come knocking. Here's, here's some strategies to solidify or strengthen your conference? I mean, any, any thoughts on... Well, I think the Big East is in a very good place. I mean, a lot of people think that the football schools want to take it over the tournament. That, that's, that's pure hogwash. I mean, they don't. They have no interest. I mean, they're getting, they're getting all the money anyway. They don't want the headache of it. Plus, if they ever tried to drive everybody out of the tournament, Congress would get involved. Trust me, nobody wants to deal with Congress. So I think the Big East is in a great place. I was a strong advocate for them to take Connecticut. That was a good uh, move. Yeah, yeah, good. Connecticut along the way. Um, I mean, uh, I talked to Val a couple, Val Ackerman a couple times, and I told her how good I thought Connecticut would be as a member. Um, I think some people misconstrued that Connecticut left the league and somehow was not loyal, which is so far from the truth. I mean, they and Syracuse were two of our best members. And, and I think, and I think Connecticut has just made the, the league stronger. I don't think, I don't think the Big East has to do anything right now. I don't know that there's a team out there that they could add that would make the league better. And the problem is if they take another team, they probably have to go to divisions now. And now, now everybody doesn't play that double round Robin format and, I can tell you the coaches love double Ron Robin. It, it, it is the true form of conference play. 
You play somebody once, you figure out how they play, and now you got to adjust and they play a second time. Oftentimes you see, you know, team A wins the first game, team B wins the second game. It's great yeah, stuff. That's, that's it. So let's wrap it up with, with this, um, Mike. Give us give us your final thoughts on on your good friend Dave Gabbett, what he meant to the game of college basketball and, and what he meant to the conference and what he meant to you as uh, well, he was my closest friend in the world. He was the best man at my wedding. Oh, really? Um, you know, he was my mentor. You know, I know you, I, I, Chuck, I know, you know, Dana O'Neill. Sure. Uh, you know, Dana worked for the Philadelphia daily news for many years. Mm -hmm. Then she went to ESPN and now she's with the athletic does a great job of covering college basketball. She has a book coming out in November. Yep. And the name of the book is, is the big, the big East, the most interesting and influential basketball conference in history. And this book has everything you could possibly want to read because Dana come, came up, spent two days with me, but uh, she's so well-respected. She, she got to talk to John. She got to talk to Louie and Jimmy wow. and PJ and, and Jimmy Calhoun and Rick Pitino and, and, and players. She talked to Patrick. She talked to Chris. She talked to Eddie. I mean, it goes on and on. And the book's coming out in November. So if people get a chance, I mean, you know, Dave was larger than life, but he was so approachable. Dave, I always say to people, Dave could meet the King of England at eight o'clock and then could meet a janitor at 804. And he'd be comfortable in both, in both scenarios. It's just, he had, it was a, it was an incredible, incredible gift. I worked for him at Providence College and the Big East for 18 years and never once did we exchange a crossword. It's hard Something to do. Something said for that. That's now, I would tell him he's wrong sometimes. He would always tell me I was wrong, but he was <laughs> a great listener. He would listen. He'd go to meetings and not talk, Chuck. Just listen. People who listen are scary because they, 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 they grasp what's going on. I remember uh, a television meeting. David just come back from being on the tour. He really didn't know what we were dealing with. We were dealing with a syndicator. Dave just sat in the meeting, didn't say a word. When it was over, we're out in the lobby. He said, this is who you ought to hire. And I said, why do you think that? And he hit the nail right on the head. What, what was that the essence of why we ended up hiring this company? He just, because he sat and he listened and he, and he absorbed. You know, my great, my best Dave Gavin story though, is in 2001, I was the chair of the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee. And I'm in Indianapolis on a Tuesday night, phone rings, it's Dave. Dave never told me what to do once I became commissioner. Left me alone completely. If I wanted something I could call, but he just he said, I've never told you what to do. I'm going to give you one piece of advice. When you're in that room, make certain they do what you want them to do because you're going to have to defend it. If you feel strongly about it, make them do it and don't be deterred. So we now, you know, we now get in, we now get in the meeting and we had a Donnybrook over an issue, and I just refused to give in refused to give in. I just felt I was right and I wasn't going to give in. I finally wore everybody out because I wasn't going to. I said, well, then all of you can go on TV and explain it because I ain't explaining it. Had to do with who was going to be a two seed and a three seed. It was at the heart of the bracket. If you get, if you make a mistake like that, you, you can, 
you, it affects the tournament. Yeah. Well, back then, we had the whole thing done by four o'clock and you go on TV at six. Um, the NCAA would allow CBS to come into the room just to look at the board and take notes and to ask some background questions. So Billy Packer came in for CBS and Bobby Dekas, who was the producer, came in for CBS. And Dave was doing NCA radio. And he and Jim Host came in the room. And everybody had all these questions and Dave didn't say a word. He just sat there and he's staring at the board. And now the whole thing's over and everybody thanks us and everybody's moving. And Dave calls me over and he said, how big a fight did you have with that team and that team in a two, three line? I, I just, how do you know that? He says, cause I know how these people think. How big a fight? I said, Dave, I was really bad. I said, I was beyond bad. I threatened, I cajoled, I, I wasn't gonna budge. He says, you got it right. Wow. <laughs> As Dave K with God rest his soul, who ran the board at the NCAA tournament said to me, the, the best committee member, not even close was Dave, understood it backwards, forwards. He, 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 he instinctively knew what the moves were, three or four moves, like a guy playing chess. I playing chess, yeah. Exactly. Just the way, that's just the way Dave was with the tournament. Yeah. Wow. He was like that with most things in his life. Wow. Well, what a great way to, to wrap this up, Mike. Thanks so, so much. It was fascinating talking to you and, and hearing how the conference started and how what really went on behind the scenes and how everything worked. It was as two guys that have played in the conference. Um, it was really, really, really an honor and a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure. Out with us and listen, good luck with the podcast. Mike, thank, thank you very you. much. Fantastic. Right. Appreciate your time. Night. It's been a lot of Bye. fun. All right, you've been listening to the Big East Rewind with Chuck Everson and Sonny Sparrow. The Big East Rewind was directed, directed and produced by Daryl Gurney and Nick Chico Chorus. You could reach Sonny and I at the Big East Rewind at gmail.com. You can also see us uh, on YouTube. We've got uh, a bunch of episodes out now. You can go check us out. Please don't hesitate to, if you like it, hit like and subscribe. And also, wherever you get your podcasts from, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Big East Rewind. Have a great night. Peace out.